Sounds like I'm too close to the speakers here or something. Ron, you may want to pay attention to some feedback. It sounds like it's starting to come through the, through the speakers. There, we're okay. So we'll begin by a brief introduction and review. So good to see you. It's feast or famine, isn't it? Last week you could hardly get a seat in here, and this week there's plenty of open pews. First, I want to thank you, Ray. Where's Ray? Thank you, Ray, for filling in for me last week. Great job. You did a great job. And we're back in our series in Acts. And we have been gathering principles, garnering principles and lessons from these passages in Acts that we can apply to our lives, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. Today's principle comes yet again from the narrative of Paul being on trial for his faith, which seems like to be going on forever, huh? It's like Peyton's place. You can miss a week or two and come back, and we're still talking about the same thing. Paul on trouble. Paul on trial. In trouble. Remember, Paul's trying to get to Rome. That's the goal. That's the end goal here. And he's trying to get to Rome because he's been called to preach there. He's been called to preach the gospel there. But it's been obstacle after obstacle. Have you met that in your life recently? God is calling us, calling you to do something, and it seems like one obstacle after another. No wonder God gave us those words, battle on, push through, toughen up. We know that God's working. We know that God's going to accomplish what he sets out to do. But sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking that's going to be easy for us that it's going to be a walk in the park. And if you read the scripture, it's not. But today I want to talk to you. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to talk to you about the incredible faithfulness of God. You don't give up. He will get you through. You don't give in. And he will accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. That's a guarantee. I'll bank that. So Paul's trying to get to Rome and it's one obstacle after another. So today's text and title. The, today's text is Acts 25, verses 6 through 12. And I'd like Steve Smith to come to the mic here. Read the passage for us. The rest of us will stand. We'll honor God's word together. Acts 25, 6 through 12. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea. And on the following day, he took his seat in court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul answered, No. This is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well that I am not guilty of harming the Jews. 
If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well. You have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. Thanks, Steve. Good job. Maybe seated. Is that what you guys came to see? Steve reading the scripture? He did a good job just for you. The incredible faithfulness of God, especially to keep his promises to us, to his people. You know, the last, at least some of the last few sermons I have had to say to you, have had to say to you, this is not really a topic that I'm excited to preach about. We had to talk about sin, and we had to talk about evil, and we had to talk about the devil, and different things like that, negative topics. Today, I can tell you I am very excited to preach this to you. What a topic. It's the incredible faithfulness of God. My intention today, and God's intention today, is to strengthen and to encourage the church through the Word, to encourage you through the Word, to encourage me, and I am encouraged. I want us, God wants us to leave here knowing that no matter what, He's always incredibly faithful. All those things that keep popping up, He's aware of them, and He has a plan. Just you don't give in. You keep moving forward. You keep doing what you're called to do. And God will do His part. And I hope to accomplish that in the application. But first... Per usual, from these messages and acts, we have to exegete the passage. And just in case you have forgotten what exegete means, it's a theological word. It means this is a narrative. It lends itself to exegesis. We give the facts of the narrative. We make some brief comment on the facts. And then we give relevant application at the end. So you ready to begin? Yes. Want to learn something? Yes. You want to be encouraged and be strengthened? Yes. Be stronger. Be equipped. About eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea. On the following day, he took a seat in court and he ordered that Paul be brought in. So we know from previous texts that, Fest that Felix is out. Festus is in as the new governor of the province, which includes Jerusalem. Festus' first major act after his inauguration was to travel to Jerusalem to try and build relationship with these Jewish leaders because Jerusalem was under his governorship. However, when he met with the Jewish leaders, they had something else on their mind than building a relationship with their new governor. They had one thing on their mind. They wanted Paul dead. They wanted the Apostle Paul dead. Two years now has gone by. They still want the Apostle Paul dead. So they tried to persuade, actually deceive, Festus into bringing Paul to Jerusalem so he could stand fair trial there, planning to ambush and kill him on the way. Verse 6 states that Festus came back to Caesarea after that meeting eight or ten days later, and apparently some of the Jewish leaders came with him. So the trial is going to reopen after a period of two years in Caesarea. 
When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and they made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Same old, same old. Again, with the false accusations, conniving, conspiring, conspiring, conspiracy to get Paul. Accusations they could not prove because they were contrived, because they were made up. Are we surprised? Are you surprised? That's what they've been doing all along. That's what evil men always do. That's what they've been doing to Paul all through the book of Acts. Satan is trying to take Paul out, and he's using wicked men to do it. You know, that's what they did to Jesus, too. And Jesus told his followers, look, his followers then and his followers now, you and me, if you're really living out there for Christ, this is true for you. Jesus said, don't be surprised. They persecuted me. They will persecute you. They will persecute you when you're out there radically living for Christ. Not being an oddball. That's not what we are um, promoting. But being out there radically obedient and living for Christ, you will face persecution. Jesus said, if they tried to get me, they'll try to get you. Paul denied the charges. I'm not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. So in verse 8, now Paul begins his defense, and he refutes each one of their claims against him. Let me just give you a synopsis of what they actually were accusing the Apostle Paul, of what they were actually accusing the Apostle Paul. They said he had disrespected the Jewish religious law by preaching Christ and Christianity, which he had not. You read his epistles to the churches that he founded. He had the utmost regard for the law. Only now he understood that the law pointed to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The law was not able to do it as the Jews believed, but the law pointed to Christ. That's all he did, was begin to interpret the law correctly in light of the New Testament, in light of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They did not want to accept Christ. They wanted to hold on to the law, so they had to get rid of Paul. They said he took a Gentile into the temple, which is a very serious offense, punishable by death in Jewish culture. But from a past sermon and a past text, we know right from Scripture, he did not. They lied about that. They said... He was a threat to the Roman Empire because he was proclaiming another king than Caesar. He was proclaiming that Jesus was king, king of kings, rule, lord of lords, which he is. But he's not an earthly king yet. Paul's aim was not to overthrow the Roman government. Paul's aim was to convert the people of the Roman Empire to Christ. All three of these claims were bogus. All three were false accusations, none of which could be proven. And for all that the Roman Empire was not, you can read about the Roman Empire in history, and for all that it was not, one thing that it was, it had a very fair and honest judicial system. Innocent 
until proven guilty was the rule of law in Rome. They didn't kill innocent people unless there was, as we say today, unreasonable doubt. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, this is asking Paul, are you willing to go back to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? <laughs> That's a no-brainer, don't you think? What do you think Paul's going to say to that? He wants to please the Jews. Wow, there's an unexpected turn of events here in verse 9. Suddenly, Governor Festus seems to come over to the side of the accusers. In Jerusalem, Festus was adamant he would not try Paul there because it would be totally unfair and unsafe. What changed? Well, it doesn't say this in the scripture. So this is a moo, my own opinion. But in my calloused and suspicious mind, I can't help wonder if a bribe or a threat didn't surface on the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea. It caused Festus to change his mind and want to try and get Paul back there. Just saying. One thing I'm very glad of, though, is that those kind of things don't happen today. I'm glad you got that. That was supposed to be humor. Our nation is riddled, riddled with this sort of thing. Verses 10 and 11, as we suspected, Paul replied, No! This is the official Roman court. I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I'm not guilty of harming the Jews. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. Paul was a man of integrity. Hey, if I did it, okay, consequences. But if I'm innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Now, think about that for a minute. Don't just jump over that last phrase, I appeal to Caesar. His obvious answer is a resounding no. He does not want to go to Jerusalem. In his mind, he's not heading southeast to Jerusalem. He's heading northwest to Rome. God promised him he would get to Rome and that he would get there safely. There was a ministry assignment waiting there in Rome for Paul. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. You got it? You getting this? I appeal to Caesar in today's terms would be equal to saying, I want my case to go to the Supreme Court of the United States. And where was Caesar located? And where was the Supreme Court located in Paul's day? Rome. Brilliant move, Paul. Nicely done. Paul's a Roman citizen. They have to grant him that request. Next, verse 12, and then off to the application. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, very well. You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. To Rome you will go. Finally, going to Rome. It's been the plan all along. And this for us is a significant thought of the day. From this is we get our title, the incredible faithfulness of God, and we get our application, the incredible faithfulness of God. God keeps his promises to his people. Let me explain further so it makes better sense 
we need to understand now, in case you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we need to understand the promise that God did make to Paul, that he would get him to Rome and that he would get him there safely. Even with all the persecution, all the plots to assassinate him, his arrest, his two-year imprisonment, all those other things we read about, God promised to get him to Rome, and God will get him to Rome. Right now, until this statement, it seemed anything like he would ever get out of Jerusalem safely, let alone get to Rome. And now he's on his way to Rome, two years later, two years plus. But God, Paul fully trusted God. Paul knew that if God makes a promise, if God gives a prophetic word, God will keep it. God will fulfill it. And God did make a promise to Paul, which I want to show us just to jog our memories. Back in Acts 19, 21, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and then Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. We've studied Paul's life enough to know now he didn't make these kind of decisions on his own. He didn't lean into his own understanding. He trusted in the Lord. He diligently followed the direction of the Holy Spirit. He listened to what the Lord was telling him in his ministry assignments. And the Lord told him he was going to go to Rome. And he said, I must go to Rome. It's not too much of a stretch here. It's not unjust to the text to conclude that this had come directly from the Spirit of God himself, that he was going to Rome. He must go to Rome. That word must gives it an even stronger sense. It wasn't a maybe. If it works out, it was a must. In case that wasn't enough, compelled by the Spirit, that night the Lord appeared to Paul. And he said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the gospel news, the good news, in Rome as well. There's that word must again. This is a promise from God directly to Paul, from God himself. You must go to Rome. You will go to Rome. You will work for me there. Paul now had the assurance, no matter what happens here, no sweat it, don't sweat it. I'll get to Rome. Oh, if we could just grab onto the promise and know that after he promises something, the bottom's going to fall out and it's going to look exactly like what the promise said, but if we could just remember, God promised it, don't sweat all this stuff. He's going to come through, and he's going to get it done. Paul now had the full assurance that no matter what happened here, he would get to Rome safely. He would complete the ministry assignment there. Paul knew firsthand the incredible faithfulness of God in keeping his promises in fulfilling his prophecies. If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And that leads to the actual application. On the screen is a principle or a truth for us today from this passage. And it's what I've been saying all along. God is incredibly faithful in keeping his promises to us. That's what I want you to know. That's what I want you to leave here with today. And the rest of the sermon is just going to be proving that to you through Scripture. Not much commentary from me, 
just the scriptures. So pay very close attention to the scriptures. Let them speak to us. Now, the following scriptures you're going to see, they're not specific promises. They are verses that tell us God keeps his promises. They're in random order, Old Testament to New Testament. So sit back, take in the powerful word of God, and let it minister truth to you. Joshua 21, 45. Not a single one of all the good promises of the Lord, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Second Samuel 22 will soon be there in the Bible read. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. Psalm 91.4. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. And just a word about Psalm 91.4 or 91. The whole psalm is a promise from God. If you get a chance, read that. Psalm 138.2, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Wow. That's some pretty awesome collateral. Romans 4.21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do Whatever he promises. Romans 15.4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scripture gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. God has given you a promise. God has given you a prophetic word. And in our humanness, we think it's tomorrow or it's next week. But as we said, oftentimes after the word or after the promise, our lives seem to take a turn that says anything but what God promised or prophesied. And that's where we need to stay in there by faith. He's developing our faith. He's doing tremendous things. He's always working. You don't see it. doesn't matter. He's always working. He's always working. It's on him, not you. Your role is to trust and obey. His role is to perform it. His role is to accomplish it. God's promises are not always fulfilled tomorrow, not, not always in our timing, but in his perfect timing. Paul knew he was going to get to Rome, but he did not know the timing nor the circumstances. God gives us promises and prophetic words. God very rarely reveals all the details to us. God told Paul he's going to Rome, but he didn't tell him he was going to be accosted by mob violence in Jerusalem and then be arrested, and then plots to kill him, and then sent to Caesarea, then a false trial, then two years more imprisonment. God thought, or Paul thought, I'm going to Rome, and it's probably going to be in the very near future. Don't put a time frame on God's promises and prophetic words unless he does. 
If he does, then you can count on it in that time frame. Why would God even give us a promise and not give us the details and let it take a while to work out? To keep us honest, to keep us fully trusting him, to keep us fully following him, to keep us needing him because he knows if he gave us the details we would turn and go our own way and try and make it happen ourselves when we need to wait on him so it happens correctly second corinthians 120 all of god's promises have been fulfilled in christ with a resounding yes and through christ our amen which means yes ascends to god for his glory illustration Mary, when she was told as a 17-year-old virgin that she would bear the baby Jesus, and she wasn't even married yet, but she believed, and in faith she said, Be it done unto me according to your word. When we fully trust in God, in God's promises, God is glorified. When we come into agreement with his promise and we say, Yes, I believe that. When we come into agreement with his prophetic words, yes, I will receive that. That brings great glory to God, and he begins to work it out. When we falter and stammer and we're not sure, and it just delays the process. And if we really won't receive the promise or the reward or the um, word, then there is no guarantee that God will accomplish it. God's love for us is unconditional. You can't do anything to stop God from loving you, from experiencing his love. But God's promises to us are often, if not always, conditional. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you do this, I will do that. And if we don't, then we might not experience it. But that's not on God's part. God is incredibly faithful. He will do it. Closing question to ponder as we move towards worship. What promise, what promises? Maybe we could put in there what words, what prophetic words has God given or made to you and you're still waiting on? Have you given up on it? Have you figured that, man, God just, that's something he probably just can't do? Have you tried to make it happen on your own? It could be just a general promise from Scripture. There are promises in the Word to God's people. Psalm 103, He forgives all of our sins. He heals all our diseases. Are you taking Him at that promise? He forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. And they're tied together. For many of us, it's easier to believe he forgives our sins than it is that he heals all our diseases. But they're both promises. He forgives all of our sins. And he heals all of our diseases. It's part of our salvation package. Sickness came in with sin as a curse on the human race. And Jesus died and broke the curse and reversed the curse. And then promised, now I will forgive all your sins and I will heal all your diseases. But do we believe that? 
So it could be just a general promise to us that we need to stand on. Or perhaps it could be a scriptural promise or a specific word that relates to something very particular, a situation or a set of circumstances in your life that God has said to you from the word or he has said to you from a brother or sister, I am going to do this. What I want you to think about as we worship, what are some of those things? Have you given up on them? Or are you still holding on to them and still waiting for God? Because God will come through. You can claim that promise as true. You can take it to the bank. God is incredibly faithful. Will you stand with me, please? Jamal, you're going to come and pray. Sonny, bring the band up. And we'll close out with worship. And pay particular attention to the first song after worship. It was picked with the message in mind. Jamal, just wait till we're all settled down and then go to the mic and pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just, God, we just thank you for that message, Lord. Wow, it just spoke to all of us, God, about, you know, the promises, God, and about trusting, you know, your timing. And, Lord, I know you spoke that, you know, through all of us and even personally through me, through different people in this church, God, through different elders. And, Lord, thank you for using our senior pastor, God, for bringing the, the word like that, God, and, the persecution and even hold on to your promises so father we just want to just say thank you god for the opportunity god lord we just pray god for everybody to take you know what we learned god throughout this whole week god to bless us god to to hold on god to what you said to us in the past god you know god what was spoken to us god when we were a child even in our teenage or even in our adult years god and even because, God, you said, I'll give the years with the canker worm, the wild locusts, and the old locusts have eaten. So, God, no matter what we may have lost, God, and God, we have a better gain in our future, God, and God, and even in our present. So, Father, we just pray, God, for everyone, God, our pastor, our first lady, God, our church family here, God, our elders, God, our praise team, God. Lord, we just thank you, God, for everyone, God. We pray for our children's ministry, God. So, Lord, just have your way, God, as we go out through this whole week, God, be with us, God. Just help us, God, to hold on and, and hold out, God, even though we may not see what you're going to do, God, even though we may not be able to touch it, God, although we may not know which way it's going to come, Lord. Lord, we just pray, God, that we hold on and just hold on and hold on, God, even though how it looks out in the world, God, it looks crazy, God, but Lord, and but in you, God, is perfect peace, God. You say in the world we'll have trouble, but in you, God, we'll have peace. So, God, we just pray, God, that, that we look towards you, God, that we look toward the hills with our help coming from, God, and our help coming from you, Jesus. So, God, we just pray, God, that you are our ultimate promise, God. You are our ultimate keepers, God. So, God, we just thank you, God. We just praise you, God. You are a loving God. You, God, you care about us, God. You count our hairs, God. So, God, we just praise you, Lord. So just bless this week, God. Just bless. We just thank you. We give you, we careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah.